Welcome into Buccaneers Insider Live presented by Miller Lite. Casey Phillips and Scott Smith here. And this is where we take all of your questions, thoughts, comments, anything you want us to discuss about your Tampa Bay Buccaneers. This is the chance. So if you're watching on Facebook, make sure you head in that comment section underneath the live video. That's where I will get your questions from. So as we give people a chance to start submitting some of those questions, uh, I know we talked about the schedule in a special Insider Live that happened right as it was released last week, but we haven't in this forum gotten a chance to talk about it yet. So now that you've had even more time, because that was like immediately after it was released, now that you've had a little bit more time to digest it, look at all the ins and outs and nuances of it, uh, are there any things that have stood out to you that are a little bit different or unique since then? First of all, it's good to see you again, Casey. Uh, it's nice to have some outside contact <laughs> at least once a week, right? <laughs> exactly. That's really the only reason uh, we're doing the show at this point. For just our keep us sane. <laughs> Yeah, you know, um, I did a pros and cons article this week on the schedule, and obviously you're nitpicking a little bit when you try to bring up cons because having five primetime nationally televised games is just incredible. It's just an indication of how interesting this team has become through this offseason with additions like Tom Brady and Rob Gronkowski. And, and you know, you've heard our players talk about uh, how the the all that attention obviously – maybe spurred by the addition of Tom Brady, but it's going to bring some much deserved recognition for some of our players who probably have been undervalued for a long time. Levante David's name is brought up a lot. I think Vita Vea probably had a much better last year than a lot of fans realize guys like that. So that's good. Uh, but you know, if we're nitpicking uh, something that I wrote about and that you about before we came on here, the Bucks because of mostly because of those primetime games, there is a little bit, bit of imbalance in terms of what you'd call um, net days off, I think is probably the way to put it. So to make one example, to make the obvious example, if you play against a team who just came off a bye week, obviously that team had seven more days to, to prepare and or rest up for that game. And that's a fact of life in the NFL. It generally happens to you from time to time, but the Buccaneers are really high this year uh, in in games like that, in net days off, we play at least two teams coming off buys. We, even when we have the Thursday night game in Chicago, which is what we usually call a mini buy because you get that weekend off before the next game as a reward for that short week leading up to the Thursday game. Uh, even that is an advantage, is not an advantage because the next game is against Green Bay and they'll be coming off a real buy. So even that mini buy isn't an advantage that week. So yeah, we're nitpicking there, but you know, there, there are, there's, there's downsides, I guess you would say, to having all this attention and all these uh, national games, and that's it. But it's a good problem to have, obviously. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, and then I know this time of year is also when we would be finding out about a lot of potential rule changes, things that are going to be voted on. Um, I know because of COVID and the situation that we might not have all the clarity on that that we normally would because of some of these owners' meetings um, being pushed back and, you know, the times that we would typically find out. But what do we know as of now about that, and, and what are we still kind of waiting to find out? Yeah, I think the very first thing that you and I had canceled that we were supposed to go to was the owners' meetings in late March. And uh, I think they called it the NFL annual meeting, but everybody calls it the owners' meetings. And that's often where the first round of rule change discussions are made. And sometimes they do pass the rules there. You remember a year ago, we were at those meetings and uh, they went a little extra long to get that pass interference replay rule installed. And like most rules, it was a one-year trial. And most one-year trials 
say, for instance, the recent changes to the kickoff uh, are then the following year renewed as a permanent rule. And uh, I'm sure that's probably what they expected when they when they instituted that new rule for pass reference replay last year. And yet this is the rare instance where uh, it's already been stated by the competition committee that that rule is not going to be renewed. And uh, we can talk about it here a little, Casey, but I think I, I'm pleased by that. And I think it it follows what we've been saying all of last year and, and in the offseason, don't you think? Yeah, I would agree with that. I think that um, there were so many times it was so frustrating, even when it wasn't your team, like even outside of Buccaneers games. You know, of course, that's when we would be the most frustrated was when it affected the Bucs. But it, it really did seem league-wide like this just caused more issues and more drama and more questioning than it did solve things. And um, so I, I really do have to commend them for being like, all right, well, we tried and it didn't seem like that worked out well. Yeah, and that's not just you saying that now. You've told me that before, and I think I've told you before, and maybe we've even talked about it on one of these shows. Uh, to me, what it came down to was that rule made me sort of change my mind a little bit on whether I thought replay overall was necessary in the game. And, and what it comes down to for me is it's frustrating when you're watching a game and your team is hurt by what you think is a bad call or non-call on a pass interference play. It, it, it's, it sucks. It, you know, you hate it. It's frustrating. But I found it at least doubly frustrating, if not many magnitudes more, last year when you thought your team got messed with by a bad call or non-call, and then it was challenged, and then you saw the replays, and you thought, well, I'm right. This proves it. I'm right. And then they still didn't overturn it. That was way more frustrating. So I, for one, am glad that this rule is gone. They're, they're talking about trying to come up with ways to combat the problem. And basically the problem is that one play in the Rams-Saints game in the playoffs two years ago. They're talking about ways to try to avoid that happening again. I don't know how they're going to be able to do that, though, because it's a subjective thing. and I think you just have to live with it. Yeah, I mean, I think that it sounds like the true answer is that you and I should be in charge of the replay and then everything is fixed. So then everything will be fine. I'm willing to be uh, the sky judge, if, you know. I'll be that sky judge. There. Yeah, where, where the fans don't know who you are in case they're mad at you. I, I, yeah. I probably shouldn't do Bucks games, though. That's, that's probably true. Quite unbiased. Quite unbiased. That's a good point. Okay. Um, we had a question from Mike who asked, uh, do you think that there's a likely extension for Godwin or because we're up against the cap that might not work? No, I would absolutely think that that's a priority. Um, when they talked about this earlier in the offseason, uh, Bruce Arians, Jason Light made it clear that that's a priority, but also made it clear that it's not something that had to get done right away, like tagging Shaq Barrett had to get done right away and re-signing Indomitian Sue and JPP had to get done right away. Uh, re-signing Chris Godwin didn't have to be done. It could be done in August. It could be done in September. I think, if I recall, wasn't Jer McCoy might have been September or October of the year leading up to his uh, free agency. Um, and Levante David might have been in August, I think. And, you know, you, prior, you, you identify guys that are priorities to keep, and you make an effort to keep them. And I think both sides here want that to happen, so I think it'll get done. And I, I know I sound like a broken record when it comes to this up-against-the-cap thing. If the Bucks need to create some cap space, they will find a way to make it happen. Yeah, if you look at the raw numbers – they're in the lower level now because of all the moves that we've made, uh, but they'll find a way to make the money there. And you also have to consider that lots of times the cap hit isn't necessarily as terrible for that very year you're talking about right then. In fact, sometimes an extension can relieve your cap hit from that year, depending on how it's structured. 
And we, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but last year I remember everybody talking about how bad our cap situation was and how are we going to be able to do stuff the following offseason, this offseason. And I said, just go look at the cap numbers for 2020. There's a lot of contracts potentially coming off the books. So your cap space for 2021, I don't know it off the top of my head. I wish I was prepared with that, but I'm not. But it does, it's not necessarily as tight as it, as it is right now. Yeah, that's a, that's a great point. Um, and Everett asked, uh, are we still eyeing any other um, potential free agents, or do we think that we're done with that? You know, I kind of don't think so, and, and I guess this, this will sound a little contradictory to my last answer, but there isn't a lot of cap space at the moment. You do have to sign all of your draft picks. You might be worried about Chris Goblin extension, and there's been so much done already, and there's not really huge glaring holes on the roster, and there's not a lot of great free agents left out there. So for all those reasons, I just don't think so. I know we got Ndamukong Sue at about this time last year, but I think that was kind of a special situation because it was right after we had released Gerald McCoy. So, you know, I don't think there's a big sign. There's always some signings, but there's not a lot of big signings between now and training camp. And I think this is a year where there won't be one. Yeah, and this is sort of related to that, but uh, Jameer had asked, are we set at running back or do you see a signing of that? No, I think we're set. Um, you know, because they do like Ronald Jones, and obviously they drafted Keyshawn Vaughn with the uh, with the idea of making him pretty prominent in the in the offense. I think uh, you don't spend a third round pick on a running back if you don't think he's going to play that year. Some other positions you might wait a little bit, but running backs generally step right in if they're you know top day one or day two picks. And they really liked what Ronald Jones did last year. I think that's a a good complementary group and. You know, when you hear Bruce Arians talk about it, he always brings up Dario Gumboali and TJ Logan, too. So uh, I don't see a veteran addition there. And, and again, I think I've said it before, when you've got basically a position that you don't necessarily, a lot of teams don't want to put a whole lot of their cap space into because it's a fungible asset and there's a lot of turnover there, a lot of shorter careers. you got two guys that are on rookie contracts. I don't think there's a there's necessarily a good idea there to add a big contract for a veteran. Okay. And this is an interesting question from Jack. He said, how different will the saints games be from week one to week nine? Well, I mean, the, the thing we can't know there is which players might be injured um, between those two games. Just a couple of years ago, there was a big difference when we played New Orleans in week one and then later in the season, because Jameis Winston was on the suspension. So you had Ryan Fitzpatrick in that first game that, 48-40 shootout, and then Jameis Winston in the second one. Uh, so you can't know for sure if you don't know for one reason or another if a player is not available. Uh, but I think in, in this particular case, the chances are higher that the Buccaneers will be look different between weeks one and nine than the Saints. The Saints come back mostly intact. I think they're going to have one change on their offensive line. They added Emmanuel Sanders, but that should phase in there pretty easily. Whereas the Buccaneers are introducing a new quarterback. So I, you know, you, I, you know, we all think Tom Brady will step right in and be awesome, but it makes sense that he'll be more comfortable in the offense in week nine than week one. Yeah, that's very true. Um, I know we talked a little bit about running back already, but Jericho had asked uh, how likely or possible is it that Vaughn could end up getting the starting nod over Rojo? I, I really don't think that's going to happen, at least at the beginning of the season. Um, like I said, they like what Rojo did. Um, there were a number of plays last year, his longest plays that were called back that would have made the stats look even better. Um, I'm sure a lot of players can say that, but still, that's the way they feel about him. Uh, and I think 
there, there really is no reason why you would take the rookie third rounder and make him the starter right away over your, your incumbent third year back, unless you didn't like that guy. And I think they do like that guy. So, you know, I, again, this is the second time I'm going to say it. I sound like a broken record here, but it's all that critical, which guy's name the starter. Ronald Jones wasn't the starter for the first seven games last year, but he was certainly playing at least as much as Peyton Barber. Right. Yeah, that's true. Um, this is an interesting question. Uh, Mike said, with teams not really paying running backs, are most teams just planning to draft one every year in the second or third round and not plan to pay a second contract? And do you see other positions that teams might use this philosophy? Well, that is a really good question. And I don't know about every year, but maybe every couple of years. That's certainly what the Buccaneers have just done. Um, and, and you sometimes find guys that help you out, even in undrafted free agency, like Peyton Barber. Um, and, and really the history of the last maybe – five, six years of running backs getting second big contracts. Like, for instance, Carolina just gave Christian McCaffrey a huge contract. I think that's pretty understandable given how important he is to their offense. And he's sort of like the new face of the franchise now that um, uh, Cam Newton and Luke Keekley are gone. It's kind of understandable there. But Todd Gurley, Jarek McKinnon, Devontae Freeman, uh, these guys getting these second contracts, it just seems to more often than not – not really pay off in the long run. So I don't think that the Buccaneers draft a Keyshawn Vaughn thinking he's going to be gone in five years. Certainly not. They hope he's awesome and they have a reason to pay him again in five years. Uh, but I think there probably is a realization that that is more commonly a, a position that doesn't get a big second contract. So that concept makes a lot of sense to me. Does it apply to any other positions? Not off the top of my head. No, I don't think so. Uh, it's just that running back in particular, their their careers are generally so short and they're replaced a lot. And, you know, I don't want to say that in, in you know, to make any anyone feel bad about Ronald Jones or Keyshawn Vaughn. Again, we hope those guys are around for a long time. Just history suggests that if you're talking about the league as a whole, there is so much turnover there. Yeah, yeah, it is such a unique position in that way. Um, that Todd asked, oh, yes, it was. I thought that was very unique. Um, Todd asked, uh, are they talking to Barrett still about a long-term contract or do we think they're just going to do the one-year deal on the franchise tag? Yeah, and that's the kind of thing that both sides are obviously keeping quiet. I would guess that they're talking about to him about a long-term contract. Um, doesn't mean it's going to happen. Uh, I did a story like several months. It's hard to keep track of time these days, but weeks and weeks ago about uh, what has happened to all the people that have been franchise tagged. And, and it's about 50-50 whether they end up remaining with the team for past that first year. So there's certainly reason to question whether or not it'll be more than a one-term, one-year deal. But I think given the guy, they love the guy, they think they got him at the perfect time that, you know, they put him in a, they took him from a spot where he's a rotational player, thought he could do more as a, as a starter and a, you know, guy that gets like 70, 70, 75% of the snaps. And that's exactly what happened. That's exactly what you're trying to do in free agency. And, uh, and unfortunately, it was only a one-year contract, so now you have to pay up. But I think they like the guy, and they believe that this was not, in any case, a flash in the pan. So I think they would like to get a long-term deal done. It uh, doesn't mean it will happen, but that would be my guess. Right. Uh, John asked, how many tight ends do you think we'll keep? Well, I think we'll probably have four on the roster. Um, you know, a fifth one could force his way on there. Uh, it just depends, obviously, on positional needs and other spots. Uh, you know, you, the, we always we always talk about uh, Rob Gronkowski and O.J. Howard and Cam Bray for obvious reasons. Those are the guys that between them are going to put up the pass catching numbers. But 
Anthony Eclair is a great blocker. They love his blocking, and, and most teams have at least one tight end that they consider a guy that's there for his great blocking. So I don't see him going anywhere. So I, that looks like at least four to me, and, and we haven't even talked about Tanner Hudson, who's a young guy with a lot of potential. So it's going to be tight. If I had to guess, I would say four. And sort of related to that, uh, I think it's Rebin maybe uh, asked, do you believe that Evans and Godwin could hit a thousand plus yards again each this year since we also have three great tight ends? And he's watching from Denmark, so that's fun. Denmark, all right. Um, yeah, I, I'm actually funny. I'm answering a mailbag question about that right now. I had to stop to do this awesome show instead. But um, you wonder, people wonder about there's only one football to go around, and we talk about how this offense is so loaded with pass catchers. Can all of them be satisfied? And um, I won't spoil my answer completely in the mailbag. You'll have to go read it. But I think there's room for both Evans and Godwin to pass 100 yards and still have, um, I mean, 1,000 yards, and still have good numbers for Rob Gronkowski and at least, or O.J. Howard, and at least one other guy, whether it be the other tight end or a third receiver or a running back, which is something, obviously, that's featured prominently in Tom Brady offenses recently. So uh, I do think both those guys made it easily past 1,000 yards last year, and that's with, Mike Evans missing the last three games and most of the fourth game and Chris Godwin missing the last two games and a portion of the third game. So they may not both end up, they were both on pace to get close to 1500 yards. I wouldn't expect that to happen, but I do think they can both top a thousand and still have two or maybe three other guys with significant pass catching numbers. Okay. Well, that's going to do it for us on this edition of Buccaneers Insider Live presented by Miller Lite. Thanks for all of those awesome questions. And we will be right back here next week. So we'll see you then. Thank you.